Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, Old Sports, and welcome to another episode of the Hello, Old Sports podcast here on the Sports History Network. Along with my co-host and brother, Andrew Newman, I am Dan Newman, and we'd like to thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Hello Old Sports podcast. Andrew, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing all right, Dan. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, a little bit of a cold here. Uh, I was at a lot of events the last few days, so I was... um, not surprised necessarily to find myself a little bit sick this morning when I woke up. Um, for reference, it is Tuesday, uh, February the 7th as we're recording this. And as sick as I am physically at the moment, there's a chance that will compare not at all to how sick I might feel on Monday. Uh, bless my heart. I might be the sickest man in America. <laughs> That is a uh, Jackie Smith uh, Super Bowl uh, 13 reference, I want to say. Cowboys and Steelers with the drop drop pass in the end zone. And when Andrew talks about how sick he is, of course, he's referencing the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles are returning to the Super Bowl and are, I think, favored to win it, as a matter of fact. So about a point and a half won't make us too happy as Giant fans. But um Luckily, tonight, our category, our topic is not necessarily Super Bowls, but we're going to take a step back from the Super Bowl and talk about the greatest conference championship games of all time. Back over the summer, we did an episode on the greatest NBA finals of all time, and we were looking to do something similar for the football playoffs, although this will likely air uh, slightly after the Super Bowl is played, but We had originally talked about doing Super Bowl, greatest Super Bowls of all time, but Andrew had the idea we'd look at conference championships and maybe that'll help us in saving Super Bowls for another year. But for this year, it's all about uh, AFC and NFC conference championship games and what we consider to be the the best ones of all time. Yeah, and we'll just sort of set um, the range of what we're talking about here. Um, We're going to officially start considering this in 1966 so even though technically 66 67 68 69 these were not the afc and nfc championship games they were the nfl and afl championship games for our purposes we're going to consider those conference championship games because the winners of those games went to the super bowl we'll touch i have a few of earlier Basically, because, you know, prior to that, the NFL championship was just that it was the winner of the Eastern Division, the winner of the Western Division played in a championship game. So I have a couple of sort of playoff games to mention uh, prior to that. But, you know, we'll really start our 
our information, you know, the the meat of what we're talking about with 1966, um, those first three years, four years when the leagues were still technically separate, but played in the Super Bowl and then getting into 1970 with the traditional conferences that still exist today. Yeah, these were the games that teams played in for the right to go to the Super Bowl for the first four years. Like you mentioned, these were the NFL and AFL championship games. And ever since they've been the NFC and AFC conference championship games, always played on the field of the home team, not played at a neutral site in a trend that needs to continue in the years going forward, despite what Roger Goodell might think these games belong at the home field of the um, the top seed in the league or in the conference. Just a little bit of an aside there. And who knows, maybe in a future year, we'll do the greatest pre-66 NFL championship games because there's a lot of good stories to be had there too. But why don't you go ahead and set us up here, maybe talk a little bit about those pre-66 games. So the games that were, pl- were played the NFL games that were played before the NFL championship game, like in the round before that occurred in 1941, 43, 47, 1950, there was two 1957, 1957, 1958, and 1965. And then there was also one in the AFL in 1963. And the reason these games would have been played was back then the NFL didn't have a tiebreaker. So if two teams finished 10 and four or, you know, nine and three, depending on how far back you want to go, and they were tied for the NFL Western division championship. They didn't use any kind of tiebreaker. In fact, a bunch of these games involved teams that had beaten the other team twice, but they still had to play a tiebreaker. Um, They would just play another game to determine who was going to the NFL championship. So a lot of them were not close. So I won't, um, I won't go too crazy into the ones that weren't close. Uh, In 1950, there was actually a, double tie the eastern division ended up tied the western division ended up tied neither was a particularly great game uh, or that it wasn't actually the eastern and western it was the american conference and the national conference just for that year ended up tied um the rams beat the bears 24 to 14 uh, on one side and on the other side at cleveland stadium the browns beat the giants eight to three so I guess that would count as a close game, if not if not necessarily an exciting one. Definitely. Definitely. Um, 1957 is one I remember or not. I have an interesting sort of perspective on, which is the um, the Lions were playing the uh, 49ers in the 1957 Western Division playoff. Um, and the uh, what was notable about this was that the Lions were down 27 to seven at halftime this is a and they story. came and they came back and won uh, 31 to 27 and then went on to win the NFL championship the next uh, the next week. Um, that was actually the Lions last road playoff win since 1957. And it's not like there's been a lot of wins at home either. Um, the reason, and if you have a, a story about this, I'll let you talk about it. the only thing that, the reason I know about this story, um, so it was 24 to seven at halftime, and then it was 27 to seven in the third quarter. Um, the only reason I knew about this game was one of the Maddens I had. I want to say it was like Madden 02 or 03, still for PlayStation 1. 
but they had added some mode where you could like try to win, like play classic games. But it was obviously it was like 20 years ago, so they didn't have classic players, just the numbers and even a history minded kid like me at 16 didn't know much about the 57 lions or the 57 49ers. But what they would do is they would basically insert you as the lions halfway through the third quarter down 27 to seven. And you had to win that game before you could play the next round. 49ers were up big going into halftime. Like you said, and they were at Kazar Stadium in San Francisco. And the Lions, through the walls of the locker room, could hear the 49ers in the home locker room celebrating and talking about what they were going to buy with the money that they were going to get for winning the NFL championship. And as the story goes, that motivated the Lions to go out there and play a lot harder not only win the conference championship game or the playoff game, whatever it was called at that time, but then to also go on and win the NFL title the following week against Cleveland. So that's the story I have about that game. And then the next year, the next year, there was another one. Unfortunately, the uh, playoff game is the less interesting game, but the uh, of the week before or the week after, but the, the giants had to beat the Browns in the last game of the regular season to force a playoff game. Um, they beat the Browns in a snowy day at Yankee Stadium where Pat Summerall hit a long field goal um, in the Eastern Conference Championship. The Yankees ended up or the Giants, if I keep saying the Yankees, I'm sorry. The Giants ended up winning 10 to nothing. They scored all 10 points in the first half, and that was basically the end of it. So not as much drama. And then they went on to play the Colts. And then the last one I have that I think is worth mentioning, um, 1965, the Packers and the Colts in the Western division playoffs. And this is a, a very, um, I don't even know if you can say controversy because everybody involved knows what happens and admits what happened. I actually have articles from both green Bay and Baltimore about it with the, uh, the field, the Colts ended up, first of all, the Colts had to play Tom Maddie at quarterback, didn't they? Yes, because both Johnny Unitas and his backup, and I don't know off the top of my head. I don't, I don't know if it was Earl Morrill yet, who was Unitas' backup. It wasn't. You both United and was his backup were hurt, so they had to play Tom Maddie, a running back at quarterback, for basically the whole game. And that was the last time that happened for a full game, really, until COVID, I think, uh, you know, two or three years ago. And oh, Denver <laughs> and the Colts almost win the game. And I think you're going to talk about why they didn't. Yeah. So there was the kick that forced the game into overtime was a uh, a field goal by Don Chandler. Uh, that pretty clearly upon sort of not official review, but review after that, the ball did not go inside the upright. Uh, and this article I have from the Baltimore, uh, the article I have from Milwaukee is the day after the game. The article I have from the Baltimore Sun is from 1996. Um, it's a, without, it became without a doubt the most talked about incident in Baltimore sports history setting off repercussions that resulted in the NFL changing the rules. But basically the kick uh, pretty clearly didn't go in, I guess by the nineties, Don Chandler reported, uh, you know, said to the admitted that it didn't look like on the field that it had gone into him either, but the call on the field was that the field goal was made. The game went into overtime. It was actually the, I believe the longest overtime played up to that point. It took the most of a, a period 
to end the game. Uh, and Green Bay ended up winning and going on to win the NFL championship the next week. Yeah, and if that game, yeah. if that field goal isn't called good, a lot of things are different. There's no three NFL championships in a row for the Packers. Maybe Lombardi doesn't retire after the 67 season. Maybe he never goes to Washington. So a lot of interesting things hinge on that 65 NFL playoff between the Packers and Cleveland. If you really want to get crazy with it, you can say, what if he's Packers and Baltimore, I should say, sorry, go ahead. If you really want to get crazy with it, you can say, what if he decides he doesn't, he still wants three in a row and stays going into 68. The Super Bowl three maybe not happen. I mean, I know the I know the Packers were old that you know getting old, but losing Vince Lombardi obviously was a big deal. So, mm-hmm. uh, Super Bowl three would have happened. Let's be clear about <laughs> that. Who would have been involved? Um, but those are hypotheticals for a different day, I guess. Yeah, we'll have to do some sixties Packers episodes at some point. It seems like a an area that's yeah, right for not, some. They've not been covered much. Um, and in about six hours, we will get to another controversial call in an NFC cha- or in a conference championship game uh, that a, co- a controversial no call um, that ch- temporarily changed the rules in the NFL. So Andrew's put together a list. I have my list, too. But I think the way we're going to do this is kind of have Andrew run through his list and Maybe as you go through, we'll sort of, what do we want our final to be? Do we want to do a final top 10 or a top five? So I would say probably five, because if we're, especially if we're going to rank them, it's going to be hard to rank 10. True. Yes. Okay. So maybe we will, um, as we go through these, we'll decide whether we want to put them on the list to sort of uh, the narrower list, and then we'll narrow that list down to five. So I guess with that, uh, do you want to just kick it off and tell me what your first, uh, what's your first one? And these are, I kind of wrote down just like ones that are at least worth mentioning. So if I give you one, it's not, oh, I think this is in the top five or this is number one. It's just sort of, if the editing on this episode is choppy to anybody, folks, especially early on, it's because I'm killing my microphone to sneeze quite a bit. So I apologize for that. Um, He's doing a Bob Euchre with the cough button. I'm just being less filthy. I'm what I'm spewing out is literal cold virus or cold germs. Um, literal filth. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so we'll start in the first year of the Super Bowl, and the first one I have here is the 1966 NFL Championship game between the Packers and the Cowboys. Now, this is not the ice ball. That one didn't make the cut. Uh, now we'll talk about that next. This is the game the year before in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl uh, where the Packers beat the Cowboys 34 to 27. Uh, The end of the game was, and I'll have you fill in some of the gaps on this, but the end of the game was a Cowboys drive to, I believe, with a chance to to tie the game up at the very end of the game. And the Packers came away with a turnover. Is that correct? Yeah. Much like the ice ball the year a year later, actually 364 days later, because this game takes place on December 1st, 1967. And the ice ball takes place on December 31st night. I'm sorry. This game takes place on January 1st, 1967. And the ice ball takes place on December 31st, 1967. It's Packers Cowboys. It's the first big matchup between Lombardi and Landry. It's in 
Texas. It's at the Cotton Bowl. And much like the Ice Bowl the following season, Packers jump out to a 14-0 lead. Dallas comes back. They it's a it ends up being a back and forth game. And late in the game, with the Packers up by a touchdown, the Cowboys, led by Don Meredith at quarterback, go on what is essentially going to be a game tying drive. And the Cowboys are on the one yard line and just hold on for one second. Cause I want to get the specifics of this. Sure. Uh, and the reason, the first thing I ever remember hearing about this game was just because of that VHS we had of the ice bowl. It was like one of the early things that NFL films had put out where they kind of released the whole game with uh, cuts to interviews from players and things like that. The beginning of that, they talk about this game the year before the game in Texas where, you know, the Cowboys were a really good up and coming team and they thought they were better than the Packers that year. And then the next year, the uh, Packers are, you know, a weaker team getting older and the Cowboys felt like they were a stronger team. So in six, go ahead. You got what you're looking for in 66. Well, I was just going to butt in and say that you, I do think it's funny the way you talk about VHS tapes that we had when we were growing up in the past tense, as if I don't still own them and watch them occasionally on my VCR, but I very I don't much still own that. Well, I still, own I, it. I formally owned it. Yes. <laughs> I currently own it. Um, so yeah, I still have a bunch of VHS tape, VHS tapes in the, in the VCR as well. So, you you would be one of <laughs> you wouldn't think that two guys who do a sports history podcast might still own uh, obsolete media, but nonetheless we do. So yeah, Packers drive. I'm sorry, Cowboys driving. They get all the way to the one yard line, and then on the one yard line they have a false start, which pushes them back five yards. Cowboys don't think they're going to be able to run the ball in from the six yard line. So they have to pass it. They, they get back down to the two on fourth down and Meredith drops back to pass. He is rushed almost immediately by hall of fame linebacker, Dave Robinson, a guy who actually passed away a couple of years ago that we talked about on the in memoriam and throws the ball up into the end zone. It's inter- intercepted by a Packers safety, a defensive back by the name of Tom Brown and that is the end of the 1966 NFL title game. And it brings the Packers to their second straight NFL championship to the first ever Super Bowl. And this is Max McGee, who would go on two weeks later to be the MVP of Super Bowl one. This is his quote on that game. He said, when we were leading 34 27 and Dallas had a first down on the two yard line, we were terrified. There was nothing we could do but pray. And then somebody in the cowboy line jumped off sides, and we were saved. To me, we won that game because of Vince Lombardi. Lombardi discipline was the difference. Nobody who played for Lombardi would ever have jumped off side and caught and cost the club a ball game or a championship. He wouldn't have permitted it. So McGee attributes that win in the 66 NFC title game, NFL title game, directly to Lombardi and the way he disciplined his team. So, yeah, doesn't take us long to get one on the sort of not the list maybe but the preliminary list of great conference championship games we go right to the first year in 1966 
Now, for his part, Lombardi's quote after this game is obviously a shot at having to play in the Super Bowl the next week. Uh, they asked him how it felt to be the greatest football team in the world after just winning the 1966 NFL championship game. And he said, I don't know. We haven't played Alabama yet. Alabama had won the national championship in college football that year, 11 and 0. And the next day they had, well, the next day on New Year's Day, they beat the, uh, they beat Nebraska 34 to 7 in the Sugar Bowl to wrap up the national championship. So, I have a hard time believing that's coincidental that he took that shot or that he made that quote. And I'm sure part of it was, you know, complimenting Alabama. But I think a lot of that was being insulted that he had to go play the Chiefs. So let's stay on the same subject and we'll just go to the next year. Um, I don't know how much we need to set up by way of sort of exposition, but the next year, same two teams. NFL championship game. The site this time is in Green Bay. The temperature this time is probably 60 degrees lower. The ice ball. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that we need to necessarily relitigate the ice ball. We've talked about it sort of here and there when we talked about everything from the, the all it's come up mostly, I guess, in the context of a lot of these in memoriams, because we've done in memoriams on how many, how many players that were in the ice ball have we done in memoriams on Rayfield, right? As you're about to say this, don't mention guys who were alive. Like you did just now that we'll edit out <laughs> Rayfield, right? Dan Reeves, Willie Davis, Willie Wood, Herb Adderley. So we've talked about the ice ball a lot in that context. And like I said, I want to do some more sixties Packers stuff going forward. So we've, we've sort of nibbled around the edges of the ice ball, but suffice it to say one of the coldest games in NFL history, one of the greatest games in NFL history Packers win in the closing seconds in Lombardi's second to last ever game as Packers coach quarterback sneak by Bart star. They win, they go to the super bowl, win it again in 66 and 67, early 68 Lombardi rides off onto the sunset never coaches another game for the Packers dies only a few years later. So yeah, we probably don't need to get into the specifics of the ice bowl other than to say that I think I want to nominate that one as a potential for the top five. Absolutely. I did my top five. I had that just outside the top five. Um, Ironically, all of my top five are NFC championship games. Oh, seven, 11, 90, 86 and 2000. (laughs) realistically three of those are games that will come up a little bit later maybe not in the list but i would imagine we will be returning to the ice bowl as part of our top five list and it probably won't be number five uh before we go any further this is going to be a very modern heavy list um and i think we've earned enough credit now to say that we're not just slanting in the way of modernism but as we go here I basically have one written after my next one, which is 1968. I think I have one written down in the decade of the seventies. You may be able to fill some gaps in for me. There were not a lot of close games. Um, I actually had zero in the seventies. In fact, I didn't even have 68. I had nothing until 1981. So, so why don't you so run again, through these, your next couple? These are ones that are just on here. Cause I think they're worth mentioning. So it's not that they're necessarily all time games, but I had the 68 AFL championship game next, which was won by the Jets over the Raiders. Shea Stadium in Queens. The Jets win 27 to 23. It was a back and forth game. Uh, Namath hit 
Maynard for a 52-yard pass, and then uh, Maynard again with 7.47 left in the fourth quarter um, to give them a 27-23 lead. No scoring after that. Oakland ends up being stopped on a fourth and 10. So not a game, certainly, to the stature of the last two. Didn't come down to the last couple of minutes, but fourth quarter comeback for Joe Namath. The first real great AFL championship game in this era. You know, one of the last, I guess, the second to last AFL championship game ever. Um, you know, and considering who's involved and what the Jets went on to do the next week. I figured it was just at least mentioning in the list here um, for the, uh, you know, for the fourth quarter and then the drive and the, the pass to Maynard. Absolutely. And what do you got for the seventies? So honestly, and if, if anybody thinks we're sort of glossing over any of these unfairly, I encourage you to go back and look at some of these scores. Let me actually, I'm just going to pull up and I won't go through every one of these, but let me just pull up some of the scores for each of these games in these um in these years, uh, history, let's do this here. List of NFC championship games. 70, I'm just going to read through final scores. 17-10, 14-3, 26-3. This is the NFC. 27-10, 14-10, 37-7, 24-13. And the AFC, for how many good teams were in the AFC, was actually worse. There was so many more blowouts in the AFC. So the only one I have listed here is the 74 AFC championship game actually between the I, I the AFC championship game, the Steelers ended up winning 24 to 13, but they were down um going into the third into the fourth quarter. They were down 10 to 3, and then they exploded in the fourth quarter. So, you know, the Steelers team that was on their way to their first championship game was um, you know, very much on the ropes in the fourth quarter. Again, I don't think it necessarily merits consideration, but I figured I'd at least mention it. And that was another Madden Raider loss to Pittsburgh in a close game two years after the Immaculate Reception. The AFC, the NFC game that same day was actually fairly close as well, but um, it was more like LA scored late to make it 14 to 10, which was the final score. So Vikings Rams. Vikings Rams. Yeah. So unfortunately, the 70s, there's not much great to consider, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to have more to sort of linger on, but there's just really not a lot there in terms of these games being close. The eighties is actually a lot better, although really the nineties and then two thousands are even better than that. 1981. I have to go with the Cowboys and the 49ers, the catch sort of the changing in the guard in the NFL as the Cowboys who, you know, were really the team of the NFC in the seventies, um, go out to California, play San Francisco in this, in the NFC championship game. Joe Montana leads the 49ers on a long drive at the end of the game hits Dwight Clark in the back of the end zone for the game winning touchdown 49ers, 28 Cowboys, 27. And then the 49ers would win their first super bowl and start their dynasty, uh, the next week or two weeks later. Montana and Clark were good friends. They were roommates and they had practiced this play. It was originally Clark was not the first option to throw the ball to on this play. It was another wide receiver by the name of Freddie Solomon. And then if Solomon was covered, Montana was supposed to throw the ball to Clark, but in a way that 
only Clark would be able to catch it. And if Clark couldn't catch it, then it would go over everybody's head and out the back of the end zone. And he throws it. Do you know who the quarterback is that the cornerback is that's covering Clark? It's Everson Walls, right? Everson Walls, who's a cowboy defensive back of basically the entire 1980s and then goes on to win a Super Bowl finally with the Giants in 1990. One of the things that I hadn't realized was that the Cowboys actually got the ball back in this game with a little bit of time left to try and do something. So after the catch, the Cowboys got the ball. That's correct. And um, Danny White is at quarterback. Staubach is retired by this point. And Danny White uh, hits Drew Pearson across the middle, gets free Two two uh, 49ers defenders crash into each other, trying to tackle Drew Pearson and Eric Wright, who is a rookie, one of three rookies in the 49ers, three starting rookies in the 49ers secondary. And Eric Wright is one of five guys who ends up going on to play in all four Super Bowls with the 49ers. It's Montana, Ronnie Lott, Eric Wright, a linebacker by the name of Keena Turner. And then I think it's a receiver, a, a backup receiver. I think something Wilson are the five guys that play in all four uh, Super Bowls for the 49ers. But Eric Wright catches up to catches up to Pearson, drags him down from behind. And Montana's biographer, uh, Gary, uh, I'm sorry, Keith Dunavant in his biography of Montana speculates that this is a play that might have been a horse collar under normal rules. But otherwise, Pearson could have gone all the way if Wright hadn't pulled him down. And then in the next play, uh, they sack uh, they sack White for a fumble and the 49ers recover. And that's the end of the game. But the catch is not the end of this game. But I think you're right. The catch is the iconic moment. It's why this is so well known in the history of the NFL. It's the changing of the guard in the NFC from the 49ers and from the Cowboys in the 70s to the 49ers in the 80s. So I think that is an excellent choice. And I also think we should nominate it for our top five. And the other thing I would add just for the enduring sort of legacy of it, there was the famous picture. It also just sort of looks like a different era. It's hard to describe, but like you see football in the seventies and you think of the Steelers and as cool an atmosphere as that must've been in been to be in. You think of these games at, in these concrete donuts, three river stadium with the turf that looks like it's made out of, uh, you know, basically like carpet on top of concrete, which is what it is. You see this game and it's the 49ers and Cowboys uniforms just look so good against each other. It's outside in a muddy field. It's just, it's almost like a the red end zone. It's just like, Baseball usually has the market cornered on just aesthetically pleasing pictures, but this is definitely one of them. Clark up there in his red jersey. The next few I wanted to talk, I feel like this wouldn't go on the list because it wasn't a close game, but I should also point out that same day was the freezer bowl between the uh, Bengals and the Chargers in Cincinnati. Yes. The second coldest game of all time. Um, the famous image of that is the player on the chargers like shoving whatever he can in his helmet i don't know what exactly it was hot towels or something like that but um and then the next year was the aj dewey game which is also not a, an all-time break game but bears mentioning and we talked um, about that a little bit when we did our 1982 episode a few months back i did list in 83 i did list this uh redskin 49er nfc championship game me too the red 
The Redskins were up 21 to nothing. Um, the 49ers came back and it was, so it was only seven to nothing at halftime. It was 21 to nothing. And the 49ers went on a, um, actually, were they down 21, nothing going into the fourth quarter? You know, they might, have been, it, let me look that up, but that may well be the case. Seidman completed a 70 yard touchdown pass to Brown, given Washington a 21, nothing lead with just over a minute left in the third quarter. With 14.37 left in the game, 40, so the 49ers were down 21 nothing going into the fourth quarter. Early in the fourth quarter, Montana hit Mike Wilson to make it 21-7. Um, Mosley, uh, who had been the MVP of the league the year before, had missed four field goals in this game. Uh, on the next play, Solomon caught a 76-yard touchdown pass from Montana, and then with 7.08 left, the 49ers tied it at 21-21. The Redskins turned, take the ball and went on a 78 yard drive that took all but 40 something seconds off the clock. Mosley finally hits the field goal with 40 seconds left in the game. There were two controversial plays on that drive that ate up most of the clock and ultimately sent the Redskins to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And the first of which was a pass interference by the very same Eric Wright who had pulled down Drew Pearson two years previously against uh, another Hall of Fame receiver in Art Monk and that penalty does get called but 49ers fans have always said that maybe it shouldn't have been and then there was a I think it was a pass interference call against uh, a holding a defensive holding against Ronnie Lott after Joe Theismann had thrown an incomplete pass and then Mosley kicks an easy field goal Keep in mind that Montana is already starting to develop his captain comeback persona after what he had done with the drive in 81 against Dallas. Some of the things that he had done when he was in college at Notre Dame. So it would have been very much of a piece with Montana, even a young Montana's growing, growing reputation as a comeback leader to come back and win this game, send the 49ers back to the Super Bowl for the second time in three years. So great game. I think maybe just outside of the top five, I want to say. So that's that's just my take. Yeah, and I don't know if it's just by virtue of, you know, it being Washington and the 49ers and not involving the Giants or anything, but I'm surprised how little I've heard about this game in the past. Same here. You know, I feel like I hear a lot about games we're about to talk about in a minute. And you hear about just in general how good the NFC was back then, but outside of 81 this was definitely the best nfc championship game in the you know there's going to be a while until 90 when the before another nfc championship game makes this list um a lot of them were blowouts actually i think three straight years they were shutouts um although i do have one i'll, I'll mention 80s but whatever um so i'm surprised that game's not as in maybe it's because washington lost the super bowl that people don't talk about it as friendly. I know in Washington that Super Bowl against the Raiders kind of haunts them because they feel like that was their best team. So maybe that's why you don't hear as much about the NFC Championship game. I also think that great games tend to be back and forth rather than everybody, point, yeah. everybody scores from one team that everybody scores from the other team. And so, and it wasn't even, maybe if it had been a comeback, a full comeback if the a Niners had come back. Yeah. yeah if, if the Niners had come back and won, but it's like, you get neither here. You get, don't get the back and forth, but you also don't get the team coming back and winning. So yeah, I, I think they, I think I even in one of the books I was researching and they called it the forgotten classic and mm. that, that kind of fits it well for me. So yeah, good game. I think probably just short of consideration for the top five. All right. 
now we move to 1986. Um, it should be mentioned as we talk about 1986 that earlier in the day had been the drive, <laughs> and then uh, at Mindy Meadowland. No, um, <laughs> the uh, we're going to talk about the AFC one. The, the joke there was that I was going to talk about the Giants beating Washington in the NFC Championship game. Um, no, so the uh, AFC Championship game, January of 87, 86 season, the. Broncos and the Browns at Cleveland Municipal Stadium. Uh, we talked about the catch in 1981. This is the drive. Um, another really good back and forth game. It was tied at 10. It was tied at 13. It was tied at 20. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, Denver wins in overtime 23 to 20. The drive. Um, the Browns are up 20 to 13. Denver muffs the ensuing kickoff. Elway takes over first and 10 on his own two-yard line with five minutes and 32 seconds to play. Ultimately ends up going all the way down the field on a 15-play drive. And with a third and one at the Cleveland five with 39 seconds left, Elway hits Mark Jackson for the touchdown and the extra point ties the game and sends it in overtime. And then they subsequently score on a, a game-winning field goal by Rich Carlos. You don't hear a ton about the back, you know, the game before the drive, but obviously it was a very close game. It was two very good teams. It was the only AFC championship game to go to overtime until five years ago. But I mean, really, when you're talking about this game, you talk about John Elway, the drive. Um, and then, you know, obviously going on to win it in, uh, in overtime by Rich Carlos with a ball that barely went in, uh, Carlos's kick barely went in the upright. So I think it has to be considered as one of the, uh, the ones just, just, just for the drama of the drive. Why don't we talk about the next year and then we can sort of figure out where we want to be. So the next year is sort of part and parcel of that, which is the next year. It's the same two teams this year. They're in Denver. This game is called the fumble. Uh, Denver wins 38 to 33. The fumble refers to an Ernest Biner play where uh, on second down at the Denver eight with the Browns eating five yards for a first down. Kosar hands the ball off to Biner goes left. He not only picks up enough yards for the first down, He's apparently about to score to give the Browns the lead. Biner basically gets hit by uh, Jeremiah Castile and the ball pops out, goes into the end zone and is recovered. Or excuse me, didn't go into the end zone. It's recovered at the three yard line. The Broncos take it over and end up winning the game. I guess the only detail I had wrong there was it was a seven point game. Cleveland must have gotten it. I think Denver took a safety at the end. Yeah, at the the very last play or one of the very last plays, Denver had the punter run back out of the back of the end zone to take a safety. Uh, I think a year ago, uh, when we had the immemorium on Marty Schottenheimer, I asked George Bozica, who's a huge Brown fan, which one hurt more, the fumble or the drive. I have to say, I don't remember what his answer was. So if you want to hear that, go back and listen to our 2021 immemorium segment on Marty Schottenheimer. Both obviously hurt a lot and played into this idea as of Cleveland as a, the city of constant sports heartbreak. Do we want to nominate either one of these or both uh, for for the final list? Another thing to point out here really quick. Um, 
Denver was up 21 to three at halftime. They were up 21 to 10 late. This was actually a, a pretty valiant comeback by Cleveland. You know, if I'm going to go with either game, and I think at least one should be nominated, I tend to go with 86 because Me too. A, it seems like it was a better game. It was back and forth, whereas opposed to Cleveland was in a hole in this game. They came back kind of like what we talked about 83. And if we're going to compare endings like that, I'd rather go with a guy who did something and a team really. But when you talk about this, you talk about Elway, a guy's positive accomplishment to take his team on a 98-yard drive as opposed to a guy's negative accomplishment. You know, to say nothing of the fact that the game went into overtime, the 86 game went into overtime. So by definition, it was a better game. I think that's true. And I also think it's the case that a defining moment for a great player always pushes to the top of the list. And even though he later won two Super Bowls, he had to wait another decade to do it. But even though he later won two Super Bowls, that 86 drive is probably still the defining moment of John Elway's career. So, yeah, I'm with you there. Ernest Biner later won a Super Bowl at least too, right? With Washington. He won 91 Redskins Bills. Yes, absolutely. All right. Um, the only other one I wanted to touch on, I, I just figured I'd at least mention that same day, the Vikings who, you know, were really an upstart. They beaten the 49ers the week before in an era when a lot of upsets didn't happen. The, uh, Vikings ended up giving Washington a really good game and ultimately and only ended up losing 17 to 10. Uh, I believe they had um, Minnesota got to the Washington six yard line. Uh, they ended up with a fourth and four and Darren Nelson dropped a potential touchdown catch, which was broken up by Daryl Green. So the uh, again, not a game people talk a lot about. If they talk at all about that Viking team that year, they talk about um, the win over the 49ers that week they got real close to, to at least forcing overtime against Washington. Yeah. And that's a team that you don't think of as a Super Bowl team because you, you tend to think of every, and this was maybe a different year because it was the strike year, but the fact that you didn't have, that's gotta be one of the few years throughout the eighties that you didn't have the giants, 49ers or bears in the NFC championship game and the Redskins were there every year themselves, but you don't think of the Vikings. You think Washington, New York, 49ers and Chicago. You don't think anybody else snuck in there from about 1982. 85 was the Rams Mm -hmm. 90 or 89 would have been the Rams too. But I, I, I agree with with your, what you're saying. I go to 1990 now, the Giants and the 49ers. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to pretend. Look, there's a we, you know, we're both Giants fans, but this game belongs on any list of great championship games. So much happened in this game. Um, the Giants ultimately end up winning 15 to 13 on the road. 49ers have been two time defending Super Bowl champions. The Giants win the game without scoring a touchdown. Joe Montana is hit and knocked out of the game and would not play another down due to various reasons for nearly two full years. After that, he was basically done with the 49ers after this. There's the fake punt for when Gary reasons takes the fake punt up the middle. They force the fumble at the end. After young has come in the game, the giants force the fumble at the end, five Matt bar field goals. 
and then just sort of the, the talent on both of these teams and the, the physical nature of the game. Yeah, and it, this was a huge upset. This was not a game that people expected the Giants to win. And I don't even know if you mentioned it, but the part of this that people think of this as the Matt Barr game or they think of this as Leonard Marshall and Lawrence Taylor knocking Joe Montana out of the game and basically ending his 49ers career. But also Giants beat the two time defending champions with a true backup quarterback in Jeff Hostetler and Jeff Hostetler was not a guy. Jeff Hostetler was not like Jim McMahon on the Eagles or even Steve Young on the 49ers who had been a starter somewhere else and then ended up as a backup on this other team. Jeff Hostetler, I think had, had started what two games in the 90 regular season, maybe a couple games in 89. I was watching an old giant game from 86. The other day, Jeff Hostetler blocks a punt. He was so desperate to get on the field that he played special teams. He played on the punt team or the punt block team, punt return team. This was a true, true backup quarterback leading the Giants on the road to a conference championship game, a conference championship win against the probably the biggest sports dynasty or one of the biggest sports dynasty of the 1980s. So this is a huge, and in, uh... huge upset. Yeah, and in 90, Sims had gotten hurt the third to last game of the year. Hostetler came in. They still lost to Buffalo. He started the last two games of the regular season on the road against the two worst teams in the NFL, beating both of them by three points each. A lot of people didn't think they were going to have a chance at home against Chicago in the divisional round, and they won big, but on the other hand, they won big, so they didn't need him. He played well, but there was no specific pressure on him at any point, really. This was a whole other animal, and I have talked to people that have seen almost every giant game going back to the 70s, and they believed prior to 07 this was the best win in Giants franchise history. And they're right. And they're right. Uh, At least in the modern era, if you want to go like, you know, post-war, maybe the sneakers game was a better win. But yeah, this was until Super Bowl 42, this was the best win in Giants history. Yep. So, and again, they, they won without scoring a touchdown, um, just a, a, a very hard hitting game and just by nature of, of the teams involved and all of the things involved, I think this also merits con, uh, consideration for our top five. It does. And can you think of another game, another conference championship game or Super Bowl? Definitely no Super Bowls. Can you think of another conference championship game that's ever been won without a touchdown? I, this might be the only yeah. one. This is probably the only one. And I know there's been some games where it was like 11 to six and the game of the Rams beat the Bucks. I don't, that was a really low scoring game, but let me look at that really quick. I bet you the Rams scored a touchdown in that game. I think you're right. That would have been 99, right? No, I'm talking about seven. I was actually talking about 79. 99 was the same thing where they, they would, I think the Rams won that game 11 to six. But in 79, the two those two teams played as well. Oh, okay. Yep, the Rams won that game nine to nothing on three field goals in 79. Oh. Well, there you go. There you go. So we are so, both talking about the same type of game between the same two teams, two 20 years <laughs> apart. Yes. Um, so after this, and it's funny because we go into the 90s, and you think of the 90s, you think of conference championship games, you think of the 49ers and the Cowboys. They played four years in a row or three years in a row, right? No. Yeah, three. None of them are particularly close games. Um, 
92 is interesting because it's a changing of the guard, but it's not a, a game that comes down to the wire or anything like that. Um, the only one in this era I even have mentioned here is the 91 AFC championship game, which the Bills beat the Chargers 10-7. But my comment here is it was close, but not interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. I did not have that on my list. And they did play four years in a row. They played 92, 93, 94, 95. Because then, or is that correct? Yeah, is, I think I that's correct. Like it wasn't the Packers in 95? Not oh no, you're right. I'm looking at I'm looking at January 15th, 95. You're right. That was not yeah. that was the 94 season, not the 95 yeah. season. Yeah, because it was such a big deal the following years. Everybody thought you were gonna get Packers or get Cowboys 49ers for the fourth straight year, and then Green Bay beat the 49ers, and it was Green Bay and Dallas. Yeah, 92 is sort of considered a classic game. I think that was first of all, that was probably that was that game was at candlestick it was in san francisco dallas i think was i think a lot of people maybe thought dallas was a year ahead that that they were maybe not quite ready yet 49ers with a higher seed steve young was the mvp and the 49ers plus you had the whole storyline of joe montana had come back and was you know if young started to struggle would they pill young would they put joe montana in and I, the 49ers got a Early, early touchdown called back on a holding call. I think it was to Rice. It was either to Rice or John Taylor. And it might have been a different game if that hadn't gotten called back, but it was. And so you're right. Not a blowout, but not a particularly close game. So I would not put any of those three games on the list. Yeah. And I looked at the 90, that 91 AFC championship game that Broncos scored with like a minute and a half left to make it 10-7. And then that was the end. So um I guess I skip ahead down to 1994 and mention what was a pretty big upset, which was the Chargers stopping the Steelers at the goal line to win the AFC championship game in, in a very, very big upset um, and you know put themselves as very heavy underdogs in the Super Bowl. But they ended up with a uh, the Chargers had a 17, was it 17 to 13 lead and Getting late in the game, Steelers ended up with a fourth down at the inside the Charger 10-yard line. O'Donnell passed to Foster, was tipped away. So the the Chargers ended up winning in in, in a fairly big upset. So I figured that would at least bear mentioning because it did come down to the very last... uh, you know, the last minutes of the game, even though it's not one that you necessarily think about, especially due to how non-competitive the Chargers were the next week. Yeah, I had that sort of similar to you. I had that on my to be discussed list, mm-hmm. but I didn't have that. I didn't have that going any further to the potential greatest ever list. And I have a feeling you're going to land the same way with the next one, which is the the next year, the Colts and the Steelers, um, the Steelers ended up winning 20 to 16. Um, this was G- the Jim Harbaugh Colts, kind of an upstart team that they even got this far. Um, they were the Colts were the number five seed. They were the first number five seed to advance to a conference championship game since 1990. Bam Morris with a one yard touchdown run. And then at the very end of the game, the Colts got the ball with the with five seconds left, Harbaugh threw a Hail Mary into the end zone and 
Aaron Bailey, the receiver, it hit his chest and it looked for a, a second like it was a touchdown. And then it turns out that the ball hit the turf before he could haul it in. So I know at first there was some controversy about whether that was a catch or not. I guess the, the replay did pretty clearly show that it wasn't a catch. But, you know, you talk about a Hail Mary on the last play of the game that almost was caught for a touchdown. I think you have to consider that as a uh, a very good game that was back and forth. Indianapolis led 3-0. It was tied 6-3. Pittsburgh had the lead. Nobody was ever up by more than four points in this game. And this was also the game in the beginning of the first half. The Steelers had Neil O'Donnell at quarterback and they had Cordell Stewart, who was their future quarterback at wide receiver. Stewart, who would later be known as Slash because he could play both quarterback and wide receiver. O'Donnell throws a late first half touchdown pass to Cordell Stewart. This is in the time in between the NFL's first experiment with instant replay and its later implementation of instant replay, which persists even to this day. A lot of people, when instant replay was first around in the 80s, didn't like it. They thought it slowed down the game. They didn't they didn't like the interference with the on the field play. So there was no instant replay, but. What was shown on TV made it pretty clear that Cordell Stewart was probably not in bounds when he caught this pass. And so if they don't score there, maybe the Colts do go on to win the AFC championship game. Who knows? Right. So I was a little bit and they people tend to look at that game as potentially the catalyst for bringing instant replay back, which I think they did within the next couple of years. And, and that's an example of one that as a kid I was confused on. Because I heard people say that was the reason, and I remembered the replay of that catch, and I was like, for years I was telling people, yeah, that guy caught that ball, and that's that's why they reinstituted replay, because they sent the wrong team to the Super Bowl, even though it's actually not correct. It was a different play in the game, but in yeah. my defense, I was like, yeah. I was eight. Yo, nine. you thought it was that you thought it was the Hail Mary. At the end was was the bad call, and that's why. You know, I think I had that in my head for a little while too, but it was the first half thing. So I was a little higher on this game necessary, maybe than necessarily the other one, but um, yeah, probably short of top five, I would say. Well, and that's the reason where I'm going to say that is we, I turned the page at, at 94, like literally turned my notebook page. I got a lot left on this list. So I think ultimately that one's not going to end up making it. So you're probably right that we can um, mm -hmm. just not even star it at the moment. Yep. All right. Where are we going next? 98. 98. And actually, there's two from 98, but one is. Clearly oh, I don't want to hear it about the Jets. I don't want to hear it about the, the Jets in 98 because they were up 10 nothing at halftime. Right, great. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying that's it. Sort of like you said with uh, with with a previous one. Was it with 86 or maybe one of the uh, no, it was uh, it was one of the 70s ones where there were two really good games. That's two really good games in one day. First, the Jets leading 10 nothing at halftime and the Broncos coming back to win and go back to the Super Bowl as defending champs. And then this this crazy Falcon Viking game with the two Andersons at kicker, which I think is the one you're going to get into. And for the record, that was the early game that day. Oh, the Jets weren't the early game. I think the Jets were the late game. That game was in Denver. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. So we're talking about Falcons, Vikings, 1998, uh, the Falcons. And I always forgot this, that 
you know, because it was such a big upset and the Vikings were 15 and one that I think in my head, I thought the Falcons were like 10 and six. The Falcons went 14 and two this year. So just sort of on the surface, you had a 15 and one team and a 14 and two team playing. But this was the Vikings that were the Randy Moss, Chris Carter, Randall Cunningham Vikings breaking all kinds of offensive records. Vikings were the favorite. People were looking at a Vikings Falcons, not Vikings Falcons, Vikings Broncos potential Super Bowl with the Broncos been undefeated most of the year. Um, they've broken the single season scoring record. They were undefeated at home. Gary Anderson had not missed a kick, field goal, or extra point all year. And Gary Anderson late in the game misses the field goal. The Vikings were up 27-17. Falcons responded with a 70-yard pass, set up a 24-yard field goal to make it 27-20. Cunningham fumbles a snap. Falcons recover on the 30. Falcons don't get anything on it, so there's six minutes left now. Gary Anderson's got a 39-yard field goal or 40-yard field goal with just over two minutes left in the game that would have put them up by 10 and almost certainly would have iced the game inside in a dome. Hasn't missed a kick all year. He misses the kick. The Falcons get the ball back. They end up uh, going 71 yards. Robert Griffith drops an interception. They end up um, getting a uh, touchdown pass from Chris Chandler to Somebody Mathis, I'll be honest, I don't know. The Terrence game is Mathis. tied. Mathis goes into overtime. Vikings do get the ball to start overtime, but they have to punt after just one first down. And then Morton Anderson, or the, Vikings, the Falcons punted. Vikings get it back. They get a deep pass. It's broken up by Eugene Robinson. Vikings punted again, and on the Falcons' second possession, the fourth possession of overtime, Morton Anderson hits a 38-yard field goal to win the game in what has to be the worst loss in Vikings history in a franchise that's had a bunch of them. It is hard to explain what a phenomenon this Vikings team was. This was the greatest show on turf the year before the Rams were the greatest show on turf. Randy Moss is an all pro as a rookie with th over 1300 yards receiving Chris Carter. Who's also in the hall of fame now has over a thousand Randall Cunningham at 35 years of age finishes second in MVP voting and is an all pro. This is Randall Cunningham's only time as an all pro in his entire career. So all those years he had with the Eagles, not an all pro. And that, and this is also a sort of a different thing for Cunningham because Cunningham in his time with Philly was much more of a running type quarterback. He has years of, you know, 900, 600 rushing yards. Randall Cunningham in 1998, only 132 rushing yards. So this is a much different Randall Cunningham. Like I said, at 35, he is an all pro. He is actually um, second in um, the league and as comeback player of the year. Do you know who was first that year in 98? No. Flutie. Oh, yeah, that's all right. So I'm just looking at him this and I'm like, how could he with this year only have been second in comeback player of the year voting? But it was because of Flutie. But this was Cunningham. His last full year as starter for the Eagles was four years earlier in 94. 95, he starts four games. 96, he's retired. 
97, he is back with the Vikings, but he only starts three games, only plays in six. And then the following year in 99, he only gets into six games. I think he gets hurt. And then after that, it's basically Dante Culpepper for the next couple of years when the Vikings continue. But for that one year, Randall Cunningham was probably the best quarterback in the NFL throwing to a rookie Randy Moss. And this was, like you said, throughout the 1998 regular season, this was very much considered the best team in the NFL. 15 and one. Who was their loss to? I don't think it had been to the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. Um, well, no, because they weren't in existence. So <laughs> I said I didn't think so. Um, their one loss was actually to Tampa, that really, you know, good Tampa Bay team, the Tony Dungy team. They lost 27 to 24 on November 1st in week nine. That was their only loss, and I believe they might have then beaten them in the playoffs. I I know I'm assuming Tampa made the playoffs in that year uh, postseason. No, they actually beat the Cardinals in the second round of the playoffs. But yeah, so the um, 15 and one, they lost by three points in their one game, and almost everybody who ranks these things has that 98 Vikings teams as one of like the five best teams ever to not win a Super Bowl, like single year teams. Um, and the I, fact they didn't even get there. I'm pretty sure that when NFL network did their missing rings segment, they do that great special every year. That's called America's team, which is a story of that season's Super Bowl winner. But then they've done a few called missing rings. They did the nineties bills and they did the 81 chargers and they've done a couple others. I think that 98 Vikings team was one of those missing rings teams. So great team. And let's not, let's not overlook the Falcons in all this. I mean, they were 11 point underdogs. They had come out of nowhere to go 14 and two that year. They had, um, they were, that was the year with Jamal Anderson and the dirty bird, dirty bird. Yep. Yep. Which I mean, like most things, it was really popular. Then it became kind of a joke when he stopped, you know, when they started not playing as well, but you know, they Chris Chandler is the quarterback. Um, this was a few years before Michael Vick 14 and two, their two losses were to the 49ers in week four. And then to the jets who had a really good team that year in week eight. After that, they didn't lose again, uh, until the super bowl. Um, they beat the 49ers and the Vikings, in the playoffs. So they beat, you know, Steve Young and the 49ers. And then the, you know, this insane Vikings team. Um, you know, it's funny. Just a really and, and also the fact they had to after that, you know, missed field goal in the touchdown, they had to stop the Vikings twice in overtime. And they did. They didn't even put Gary Anderson in position to try to kick another field goal to make up for himself. So one of the year specials that we want to do this year, because it's 25 years ago, is 1998. And I picked it really for two reasons. Well, I mean, I picked it because it's 25 years ago, but the two things that stand out from 98 are sort of the other two sports that we are mainly focused on because 98 Yankees were a great team and they had the home run chase with the McGuire Sosa and everything. And then you had Jordan's last season with the Bulls and that epic shot that he hit that, you know, should have ended his career. There's a lot in the NFL realm for 98 too. So we're going to have to make sure to devote some time to the NFL from 98 too. Cause there's a lot of good stories there. That I'm, you know, kind of remembering. All right. So, I have a so little do, bit of a, do we want to put ahead. that one on the potential top five list? I think we do. Absolutely. I have a little bit of a jump here. Um, 
I don't have anything that I think is even worth mentioning until 2006. The one I would at least mention in 2006 is the AFC Championship game between the Patriots and the Colts. The one that I had as a potential, at least just to mention, was a one AFC uh, New England and Pittsburgh. And that's where Brady gets knocked out of the game and Drew Bledsoe has to come in. And that ignited the whole controversy about maybe it would be Bledsoe in the Super Bowl instead of Brady. So that would not have been a potential top five for me. But I, I had that as kind of a mention list. You're right. It 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 does deserve to get mentioned. Um I think the controversy was pretty short lived because pretty soon after that, like basically as soon because remember there was no off week that year because of nine eleven. Um incorrect. Okay. I, I always correct people. Whenever I hear somebody like on the radio say this, there was never supposed to be a bye week. The Super Bowl right, got pushed right. back a week right. and it was the first Super Bowl ever played in February, not because of so the the, the lack of a bye week was not a nine eleven thing. Because I you're think right, they, you're right, you're right. I think in 02 they didn't do a bye week either. That was something they did for a couple years. I like I like it better well, without the bye week. But so what the issue they were having for a long time was they wanted to end the season in January, but they didn't want to start the season on Labor Day because there was a few times where they started the season on Labor Day. Like I think the Giants maybe in '97, like Labor Day weekend. I think they beat the Eagles on like August 31st in 1997 or something like that. So they were kind of getting pressed a little bit. And then when they moved it to February, they were like, oh, yeah, it could be in February. Who cares? And now it's the second week of February. Um, And you know what they want is eventually to get to President's Day and they'll get there. Yeah. Um, So the reason I have 06. It's the Patriots and the Colts. You know, the Colts have been sort of tormented by the Patriots for a while. The Patriots actually were up on them kind of big early in this game. I think it was 21 to three going into halftime, um, maybe even before halftime. And then the Colts come back and ultimately end up taking the lead at, I mean, they were down all the way until the first lead the Colts had in this game was the, what ended up being the final score of 38 to 34 after having been down big for most of the game. Manning gets the monkey off his back of finally at least getting by New England. He would ultimately get the the full monkey off his back the next week by winning the Super Bowl. Um, but, you know, it was a big comeback, which I had kind of forgotten about just how big a comeback it was, how much they were down. Um, they were down, yeah, 21 to six going into halftime and then ultimately ended up scoring, you know, at the very end of the game to take their first lead on a Joseph Fadai three-yard run with one minute left to win the game and ultimately go on to win the Super Bowl. Patriots get the ball back after that. Brady's trying to knock them, trying to drive them down the field to try and score what would have to be a game-winning touchdown. He throws an interception, and Brady later says, even when they were up, even when we were up 21-3, you knew at some point they were going to come back. Last playoff meeting between Brady and Manning while Manning is on the Colts. They get one more in Denver, an AFC championship game in the 20. I want to say that would be the 2015 season Manning's last year. I have that one on the list because of the comeback, because it's Brady Manning, because it's Manning's only ever Super Bowl win with the Colts. And if he doesn't come back, that leads to that. So I have this as a potential top five. They didn't play the year the Patriots or the Broncos went to the Super Bowl and lost to Seattle in 2013. 
Okay, maybe they did that year too. It was the they but it was the, had to. It was the last one while Manning was still a cult. So there were two. You're uh, right. Yeah, you're, I was. Gonna, I thought there was two because they they played them. That was like during that stretch where the Patriots were in the AFC Championship game every year. They didn't always win it, but they were there. Um, I go to the next year. I go to Giants Packers, the third coldest game in NFL history. First and third, both in Green Bay. Um, this was the Giants who were on their way to winning Super Bowl Forty Two. Again, not trying to be a homer. Brett Favre's last game as a Packer, sub-zero temperatures, the story of Lawrence Tynes missing the two field goals in regulation before finally hitting the long field goal in overtime. This was a game that was the Giants were up uh six to nothing. The Packers ended up being up as much 10 to 6. Then the Giants are up 13-10. Packers up 17-13. Giants up 20-17. Then it's tied at 20. This game went back and forth. In overtime, Favre throws the interception to Corey Webster. And it sets up the long Warren Stein's field goal where he gets to. He had missed one at the end of regulation. He had missed one earlier than that in the fourth quarter. And he finally hits this one to send the Giants to the Super Bowl. Favre's last game as a Packer. Yeah, no, epic game, cold. Tom Coughlin's on the sidelines and his face is he's basically getting frostbite in real time. And you're watching this older man get colder and colder out there. Yeah, great game. Nobody thought the Giants with the Packers 15 and one that year. No, because they were only the two seed. Um, let me check what they were. They were very I think they went 13 and three. Cause I'm pretty sure both them and the Cowboys were 13 and three that year. Let me check. They were 13 and three. They had, they lost. Yeah. They lost to Chicago in October, the Cowboys in late November, and then the bears in week 16. So they were 15 and one the year. The giants beat them in 2011 with Rogers at quarterback in the, in the second round. That was what I was thinking. Yes, 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 yes. So this is a great game. I frankly think it, think it probably deserves discussion. On the list, I don't want to be overly a homer because it was the Giants, but it went into overtime. It was negative eighteen degrees. Yep. Yeah, I had um, it on. I had it on. I had it on as a potential top five. All right. Okay. So so oh seven NFC definitely on the list. Um, I feel like there's probably probably even you know quite a few more. So what what do you got next? All right. Mention the oh eight Eagles Cardinals game. The Eagles are down big. They come back, they cut it to, I think, three, and then the Cardinals end up winning. Um, I don't know that I would have that on a list permanently, but it was a big comeback from from the Eagles, and then ultimately the Cardinals held them off uh, and win the game. Yeah, I, know, I will say I did not necessarily have that one on my list. All right, how about the next year, 2009, the Vikings and the Saints. Brett Favre is now Viking. Uh, the Vikings again think it's their year uh, to go to the Super Bowl. Favre, who spent a year with the Jets, is now with the um, the Vikings. He's having, I think he was like second. He had an MVP caliber year. I don't remember if he was actually, he wasn't the MVP to the best of my knowledge, but he was right up there. The game goes into overtime and the Vikings, it's 28-28. The Vikings take over. They get to the they actually get to the 33 and there's a 
penalty on third and 10 and they have 12 men on the field. So they go back to the 38 and on third and 15, where they're going to at least get to try a long field goal. Favre throws a pass that gets intercepted by Terry Porter. That basically ends regulation. It goes to overtime and the uh, Saints get the uh, field goal, a 40 yard field goal in overtime to win the game and go to their first Super Bowl, which they would ultimately win. So an overtime game. Uh, Favre did play one more year, but sort of the last playoff moment of Favre's career, kind of an encapsulation of how he can also kill you as he's, uh, you know, and just what it meant to that franchise in New Orleans. So I figured that at least gets mentioned. Three rushing touchdowns in this game from Adrian Peterson. This is the beginning of his dominant period. I think he'd been, he'd rushed for something like 1700 yards the year before he was down to like 1300 in this year, but you know, the beginning of a potentially a hall of fame career for him too. So yeah, I had that. I don't, for, I don't know why it doesn't feel like a top five game, but it just doesn't. Maybe that's right. bias. Cause it's two teams that I don't have much interest in, but it just, I don't know. Just doesn't feel like it to me. All right. And we're going to understandably, we're going to have to speed up a little bit here just because there's, I'm looking and we're getting into the last decade and I still have a bunch. Same and for here. the record, Same I didn't, I didn't include anything from this year. So I didn't, I went all the way up to last year, but I didn't include the Bengals Chiefs game. I don't think that would make the list anyway, but I didn't include it like this year's version of it. Um, and I think it's interesting here because we haven't had this yet seriously. And I think we're about to have a couple of years where both games are legitimately worth mentioning. Yep. I do have 2010 first to at least mention the Jets come back against the Steelers. The Steelers are up 24 to nothing at halftime or right before halftime. It was, I guess, 24 to three at half, right as the Jets kicked the field goal to make it 24 to three going into halftime. They then got two more touchdowns and a safety to make it 24 to 19 with three minutes left. The Steelers held them off, but you know, rare do you see a team that's up 24, nothing let up all those unanswered points, not score again and still hold on to win. And it's the jets who nobody expects to ever do anything, let alone make it to the super bowl. So the fact that they were this close after being down that much makes it a really exciting game. Yeah, and that was their second straight year there. Uh, the year before had as close against the Colts, but they were, you know, for that little brief period, they were sort of on a run of, you know, they get into the playoffs and then they do these things and they've beaten good teams in the second round both years and they've done this all on the road. And, you know, the Steelers team was obviously good. They'd won two Super Bowls. I was I remember being surprised at how dominant it was in the first half, especially the Jets were a defensive team. If any team was not, organized to come back like that it was them and yet they still almost did it yep absolutely those are the rex ryan defensive power jets all right so moving into 2011 is this a, a year you were saying we need to consider both games yes it is so we'll go in sequential order the afc championship game that day and i remember watching the end of it you know Obviously, my mind is focused on the Giants who are about to start at 630 in the NFC Championship game, but sitting there watching this game and, you know, for the most of the first three quarters or whatever, I'm half watching. And then as the game comes down to the end of it, you couldn't help but be um, you couldn't help but be uh, sort of entranced 
buy it. The Ravens took over with a minute and 44 seconds left, down by three. They ended up getting to the Patriots' 13-yard line, and there was two passes that looked like they would have been touchdown passes, and they're they're knocked away. And then they bring in, okay, so they like the Ravens almost won that game. And then instead, okay, it's fourth down. They're going to bring in Billy Cundiff to kick a 32-yard chip shot to send it into overtime. And he misses a chip shot. Basically, the length of what an extra point is now. He misses. And the Patriots are... And you've got to remember, this is the Patriots going back to the Super Bowl for the first time in four years. They hadn't won a Super Bowl since 2004. You know, they were in that sort of interregnum period where, you know, it wasn't taken for granted. Like, oh, it's the Patriots again. And Cundiff was considered a pretty good kicker. I know he was when he was kicked against the Giants in 03. Now, obviously, shortly after that, they went to Justin Tucker, who's become one of the greatest kickers of all time. If not, probably the greatest, if we're being honest about it. But, um, you know, this was a, a very good game with an up-and-coming Ravens team who it turned out would win the Super Bowl the next year. Um, the Patriots... You know, of the teams that made the Super Bowl for the Patriots, this was probably their weakest team to ever make the Super Bowl. Um, if you kind of look back on it, they were a good team, but this this was just compared to other, even the other teams that lost, this was probably their weakest team. I mean, I guess you could say a one on paper just because of the a one team, but the a one team won. So, I mean, if you, and I mean, of the Belichick era, I'm not talking about the 85 team. Um, No, I guess I know they won, but that last team, that 2018 team, the team that beat the Rams, that didn't feel like a particularly strong team to me. But yeah, this was, this was not one of the better ones, I think is a fair, fair point. Yep. So. And then right as soon as that game ends, we go to the NFC Championship game. It's the Giants and the 49ers out in Candlestick Park. Um, For my money, the best complete game Eli Manning has ever played in his career. He got hammered in this game pretty incessantly. He got beat up. The turning point sort of of the game, and it was a back and forth game. You know, the Giants go up 10-7. The Niners go up 14-10. The Giants got two big Muff punts by Kyle Williams, the punt returner for the 49ers. Uh, once in, I believe, the fourth quarter, maybe the third quarter, and then once in overtime, which led to a field goal by Lawrence Tynes again in overtime, again in the NFC Championship game to kick the Giants to the Super Bowl. Steve Weatherford had a very nice hold. Um, and this was sort of the symmetry of this, the tie back not only to four years ago with the 07 game, but also to 11 years ago or 21 years ago at that point, rather with the 90 game against the 49ers. So I think it has to be considered. I don't know that it makes the top five, but a great, great game that I think it's all kind of overlooked in the Giants playoff wins of that era. And wasn't it Weatherford who had, was running around yelling, we're going to the effing Super Bowl after the kick was made? Yes. I thought that was him. Off. Yeah, Manning was sacked six times in the game. Did end up completing 32 passes out of 58. They threw the ball 58 times in that game. Um, the 49ers were another team that was kind of out of nowhere that year. Alex Smith was still the quarterback of that team. The next year, he would be replaced by Colin Kaepernick, who took them to the they Super went to Bowl. The Super, Bowl yeah. Super Bowl, yeah. But... Uh, just a very good overall game. 
that I think is is a is a great game, but maybe just a hair outside of the top of being considered. Okay. All right. Well, then we can uh, we can leave that one off. That's um, me sort of also uh, overcorrecting for being a homer, probably, to be honest with you. Well, you're not going to put three giant wins on there. We just we yeah. know we're not going to do that. So, yeah. all right. Um, where did you go next? So ne- next, I went to 2012. Um, I went to the AFC game in 2012 with the same two team, or excuse me, not the AFC game, the NFC game. The 49ers and the Ravens, Jesus, that that was the Super Bowl. The 49ers and the Falcons, and this was the game where the 49ers had been down, uh, I believe, 17 points pretty late in the game. I guess just in the third quarter, they were down uh, 17 points, and they came back and ended up winning 28-24. to and they they were down seventeen nothing early. I'm sorry, and then they ended up winning twenty eight to twenty four. Um, the Forty Nine ers made a have really since then since 2011. The 49ers have made a ton of AFC NFC championship games that was ended on a uh, Ted Ginn Jr. scored the last points of the game. Falcons get to the thirteen yard line aren't end up aren't able to end up scoring. So close game, big comeback again. Probably don't have it in the in the all time list. But, you know, it's certainly a good game. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Great game from Frank Gore. A couple of late touchdowns. I would agree with that. The Falcons kind of setting the tone in the Matt Ryan years of, of having really bad comebacks against them. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah, probably outside the top five. But yeah, I agree. All right. The next game, we go the next year again. We There's four straight years where we talk about the NFC Championship game, to be honest. And San Francisco's. Three of them. This was the San Francisco Seattle game, which was at the time the best rivalry in football, in my opinion, for and was for a long time. Um, this game came down to the end where uh, 49ers with uh, Crabtree, he tries to throw Kaepernick, tries to throw the ball to Crabtree in the end zone. The ball's broken up by Richard Sherman and the uh, and it's intercepted by Malcolm Smith after the breakup by Richard Sherman. And then Richard Sherman cuts that promo at the end where they have to cut him off because they're afraid he's going to say something insane. But uh, you know, this he just, was, a, he, he said, he calls him a weak receiver, right? He says, you, he basically says like, it, it's an insult that you expect me to cover him or something like that. I think he calls him a sorry receiver, like Crabtree or something like that. Another game where the 49ers were up 10 to nothing. San Francisco came back and tied it. They ultimately ended up taking the lead 23, two field goals to make it 23 to 17. And the 49ers, you got to remember too, the 49ers had been denied at the goal line in the Super Bowl the year before that. Yeah. And then they were denied at the goal line here. Um, So they had that three year run of they lost in overtime in the NFC Championship game. They lost at the goal line in the Super Bowl. And then the next year, they lost to the goal line in the NFC Championship game again. The Seahawks went on to dominate the Broncos in the Super Bowl. You know, really dominant. Uh, well, obviously, if they dominated them, it was a dominant performance. But, you know, that Legion of Boom defensive team. Interesting stat line for Kaepernick in this game. He's got 153 yards passing and then 130 yards rushing the rest of the team only has 30 yards rushing combined so he is basically their entire offense for this game i think this one probably also maybe falls just outside the top five the next one 
is interesting and I think really does bear some mentioning. And this is green. This is the next year at Seattle and Green Bay. Um, this was the game of the horrendous collapse by the Packers in the fourth quarter. This was where Seattle onside kicks it with so they they're down 19 to 7. Russell Wilson scores a lot of sneak to make it 19 to 14. Seattle tries an onside kick. Uh it goes up in the air. Bostic, Brandon Bostic misplays it. He steps in the way of Jordy Nelson. That's um, right. I remember feeling so bad for this guy. Ball bounces in the air. Seattle ends up recovering it. Um, Marshawn Lynch scores. They went for the two-point conversion. They throw it up in the air. It gets caught. So they get the two-point. Wilson basically has to throw it straight up in the air. It gets caught. Then the Packers do get the ball back, go all the way down the field to kick a field goal to tie it at 22. Then it goes into overtime and Seattle ends up winning the game in overtime uh, on their way back to the, to the Super Bowl. Considered one of sort of the all-time chokes, very famous play, but also again gets overshadowed. There's still a lot of game after that. The Seahawks have to score on that onside kick. Then the Packers go down and kick a field goal. Then the game goes to overtime. I think this is a very, very memorable, very good game. Yeah, and I think this one could be a potential top five. Yeah. I think we have to consider it. Yeah. Some of these newer ones, we don't we're listing them, but I don't want to say, oh, but they're not in the top five because they're newer. I think this one gets considered in the top five. I agree. So we take a break from the AFC now, or the NFC rather. The next year, though, AFC game. Denver beats New England 20 to 18 on a New England failed two point conversion at the end of the game in the last Peyton Manning, Tom Brady matchup. Yeah. Another great game. That was the one where uh, mid season, the Broncos had gone to Brock Osweiler as the starting quarterback and Manning Mm. was Manning was benched. He was on the sideline. And then at a certain point, I think Osweiler got hurt or something and they put Manning back in and I said, hey, wouldn't it be crazy if we got one more one more Brady Manning AFC championship game? It looks like it could potentially happen. And I remember calling your radio show with Andy and I was mocked for that mere suggestion. And then about six weeks later, lo and behold, it went ahead and happened. And we got one more Brady Manning AFC championship game and one more Manning victory over Brady. Probably to me, probably falls just short of the top five, but a great way to end the Brady Manning story. And it's really amazing how many of these AFC championship games almost went to overtime. Yeah. Like, Oh, first time in AFC, this was almost the first time it went to the overtime since the drive. And a bunch of these other AFC games, that keep saying like, Oh, for the would have been the first time in 25 years. It would have been the first time in 19 years. Cause it's still since 86, they had not gone to overtime in an AFC championship game. It had happened a few times in the NFC. Nothing in 2016, remarkably, for me. 2017, the New England-Jacksonville game, I think, gets mentioned, uh, at least. You forget about this just because Jacksonville was involved, or at least I forget about it because Jacksonville was involved. But this was the um, this was the Jacksonville team that kind of sprung up out of nowhere and managed to get to the AFC Championship game and were leading. Early in the game, they were leading 14-3. to they were leading as, at as late as the fourth quarter. They were leading 20 to 10. Yep. Danny yep. Abdullah had two touchdowns to give the Patriots the lead. 
And then late in the game, Jacksonville, I think they got down pretty close. They got to, they got to the Patriots 38 yard line. Blake Bortles was the quarterback. Um, and they ended up with a fourth and 15 and couldn't do anything in the, uh, the Patriots ended up uh, running the clock out. So, you know, it didn't come right down to the wire, but certainly the upstart team and the Jaguars having the lead most of the game, I think gets some sort of mention. Brady played this game after having a badly hyperextended thumb earlier in the year, which they earlier in the week, I should say, which they sort of tried to hide from people. So the last, this is the last Super Bowl appearance. Or no, this is the, I guess would be the second to last Super Bowl appearance of the, the uh, the Brady Belichick Patriots. So yeah, another another great one. And then I think we're going to go to eighteen. And there's the the last uh, Brady Belichick AFC Championship game in eighteen, which is another epic game. And we're going to talk about both of these games this day. Both conference championship games went to overtime in this year. Um, so since you mentioned the Brady Belichick one, we'll start there. Uh, that was the night game. This was in Kansas City. It was the start of the Kansas City run now of five straight AFC Championship games at home. Uh, Patrick Mahomes' first year as the um, as the quarterback in Kansas City, like full time, and the Patriots had a, really the last great Tom Brady Patriot moment. I know they won the Super Bowl the next week, but that was a horrendous game. Um, you can't say the last great Tom Brady moment because they did win the Super Bowl with with Tampa Bay. The last great great Brady. Patriot moment. The Chiefs were uh, a really high-powered offense. It's really the same Chiefs team as you know now. I mean, the guys, not all the guys are the same Tyree Kill, Kareem Hunt, but it's the Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid Chiefs. Um, Kelsey. Kelsey, yeah. So lots of scoring in the fourth quarter. The game was actually only 17-7 to going into the fourth quarter. The uh, Chiefs scored two straight touchdowns to go up 21-17. Then the Patriots scored a touchdown to make it 24-21 with 3.32 left. Kansas City gets the ball back. They score quickly. They go up 28-24 with 2.03 left. Then the Patriots score again with 39 seconds left to make it 31-28. Patrick Mahomes takes over with 31 seconds left, or 39 seconds left, and gets Harrison Butker into field goal range. So there was, in the last 3.32, there was... Three touchdowns points scored. And and that reminds you of that Bills Chiefs game from two years ago or from last year with I mean a little bit of a tighter time frame, but sort of the same general principle at work there. So I think a lot of people were kind of was like, oh, it's the Patriots again. A lot of people were probably kind of frustrated given that. And then in overtime, they got a the only sort of anticlimactic thing was that the Patriots got the ball in overtime and you know went down and scored Kansas city didn't get a chance to touch the ball. Uh, and it was punched in by a Rex Burkhead two yard run. But, um, I think due to the nature of the fourth quarter of this game, it gets considered plus two legendary quarterbacks or one legendary quarterback and one likely to be legendary quarterback. Yeah. We could put that on the potential list. Yeah. And it's also, there wasn't a ton of overlap between those two. I know they then played in the super bowl or no, yeah, they played the Super Bowl a couple years later. Yeah. But their, their careers don't overlap that much where every time they do touch like that is going to be significant. It's not like Brady and Manning. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, the AFC, the NFC Championship game that day needs to get mentioned. I don't think it goes on the same level just in terms of because of what the defining play was. But this was the Rams and the uh, Saints in New Orleans. This was earlier in the day. 
And this was the very famous play where late in the game, Saints were at third and 10, Breeze threw a pass to receiver Tommy Lee Lewis, who was covered by uh, Nikhil Roby Coleman. Roby Coleman knocked Lewis to the ground. Replay showed that Roby Coleman made contact with Lewis long before the ball arrived. No flag was thrown, and the Saints had to settle for Lutz's third field goal from 31 yards, which gave them a 23-20 to lead. The Rams went down and got into field goal range and tied the game, sent it to overtime, and then the Saints ended up winning in overtime. The Rams ended up winning in overtime. Really a horrible non-call that, you know, resulted in the NFL instituting instant replay for a year on pass interference calls. And then didn't the refs like not overturn it like 19 out of 20 challenges or something crazy like that? It became pat. The reason they got rid of it, and I think it should still be there, but it became patently obvious that the NFL refs association or whatever was pissed about it and they were never going to overturn one. They overturned a couple that were seemingly random. Like, I think the Giants had one in a game like they were getting their butts kicked and they threw a challenge flag. And it was like, I was like, this is a dumb challenge. It's not that egregious and it doesn't matter. And they did overturn it. And I think it's probably because it didn't matter that they did it. They were just just, to show like, hey, we can do one once in a while. Yeah, it became very obvious that they on principle were not going to overturn any of these. But um Again, I don't have that as an all-time classic game. It wasn't even the most classic game of the day, but it was an NFC Championship game that went into overtime and was very controversial. And it's funny. You wonder if both of those teams got all their scoring and excitement out that that week in the Conference Championship games because the Patriots and Rams then went on to play one of the most boring Super Bowls of my lifetime in that 13-3 Patriots victory two weeks later. And that had been the year, if you remember, the Rams and the Saints, or not the Rams, the Rams and the Chiefs had played on Monday Night Football in like October that year. And the final score was like 55 to 52. And it was yeah, I remember that fun game where it almost seemed like, oh man, if we could get that game again. And then when it was the Patriots and the Rams, it was like, well, it's at least still two really good teams. And then it was just so disappointing. Um, 2019, nothing worth speaking of. 2020, I don't believe I had anything worth speaking of. Um, those games were now nah, the Bucks and the Packers, but compared to recent history, I don't have too much to to speak of there. And the uh, what was the AFC Championship game that year? Bills Chiefs, not to be confused with the Bills Chiefs divisional round game the next year. And then last year, both games were close. I did not include the 49ers Rams game, but I did include the Bengals chiefs game last year. So again, I didn't include that. I didn't, I didn't include this year just because I didn't get into this year, but the Bengals chiefs game from last year, the one that went into overtime won by Cincinnati, um, Kansas city was up. I feel like this was a game where early on, it looked like Kansas city was outclassing them. It was 21 to three right before halftime. Cincinnati scores to make it 21 to 10. And then Cincinnati ties it up at 21 takes the lead. Then it's tied at 24. Butker hits a field goal again, right at the end of regulation to force overtime. And then in overtime, Evan McPherson hits a 31 yard field goal to send the Bengals to their first Super Bowl since 1988. So a pretty big comeback against the team on the road. Uh, so I thought that was a very good one as well. Yeah. I had listed both of the ones from last year as ones to potentially yeah. talk about. Maybe it's recency bias, I, but I just, I couldn't get there as far as a potential top five with, with last year's 
AFC championship Ooh. game. All right. So you want me to go through the ones I have starred? Yep. Go ahead. Ones we agreed would be considered. And it looks like we have one, two, three, four, five, seven. So not as many as I had one. Let me see. One, two, I, three, I have four. nine. So I have eight. I'm sorry. So maybe I missed one. All right. Let me read these me, off. Do you want me to read mine? Cause I have the nine. Yeah, go ahead. So 1967 Packers and Cowboys, 1981 49ers and Cowboys, 1986 Broncos and Browns, 1990 Giants and 49ers, 1998 Falcons and Vikings, 2006 Colts and Patriots, 2007 Giants and Packers, 2014 Seahawks and Packers and 2018 Patriots and Chiefs. Lots of Packers, lots of Cowboys, lots of Giants. Uh, not as many Patriots as you might think, only two Patriots. So lots of different places to go. Do you think that maybe some of these more recent ones we kind of knocked off just because there are just so many of them? I think you're probably right. Yeah, I think there's a sort of a flood of all of them. And again, you also have to have a little historical perspective to some of them. And it's also, you know, there's something about watching these games live that I think in a lot of ways diminishes them because you don't learn about them as classics. You you ex- yeah. uh, with few exceptions. So like that Bills Chiefs playoff game last year, and you almost have to take out the games you're a fan of. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that Bills Chiefs divisional game last year. I was watching that going, oh my God, this is a, a great all-time game they're going to talk about for a long time. It's hard with a lot of games because you're watching them and you've seen this team the week before. I, I don't know. It's like, I'm not undervaluing them because I'm like, oh, well, you know, football's not the same as it was in the 70s. I feel like I'm more undervaluing them. A, because like you said, there's been one almost every year lately. And B... I watched it live, so I, you know what? I don't know. It's like I'm evaluating them differently. Maybe that's not fair, but. No, I think that's exactly right. So why don't we jump right into it? What's number one? We're going to do it this way, huh? What's number one? Well, otherwise, it'd be really difficult because your your five might be different than my five. You know, like your five. You're like, oh, okay, we knock Kenny off. Can we not? Whatever. Um, is the, uh, does the ice ball have to be number one? I feel like. I've probably watched most or all of every single one of these games, including the ice ball. Some I remember more than others. Some I have only obviously the historical knowledge. Um, yeah, I guess you kind of do have to just put the ice ball number one, just based on the fact that it's the ice ball. And when you make a list of the great, let's put it this way. If we were to make a list of the greatest NFL games of all time, the ice ball would probably be at the top of the list above any of these other games. So yeah, I, we can't, you know, I guess we can't take different criteria just because it's uh, just conference championship games. So, yeah, I, I guess you got to go ice ball one. All right. Um, so number two. You know, I look around, I think about 1998, I think about the significance of that game. 1998 is going to be in my top five. I'm just kind of working this out as I talk. Ones I feel like 1990, I feel like, because the thing about 1990 is it was, a, it was not just about the ending. It was about these sandalies within the game. What are you, do you have any thoughts here on where you would go? 
part of me feels like for the same reason you have to do the catch next. Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I would do that. I, I I think you're right there, the catch. So we get the ice bowl, the catch. Now, what I'm not going to do is go, well, 86 was the drive. So we have to go with that one next because that's got a name too. I think 98 might come next. Yeah, I, I had four. After we said 90, after we said the ice bowl, I wrote four down more. So, yes. Yeah, so I, I think I agree with you there. So the ice bowl, the catch. The 1998 Falcons Vikings game. I would maybe go 90 next. Yep, you're you're definitely you're naming the ones I had on the list here, and I I think 90 gets so these are all four NFC or NFL championship games, but I think the significance of them is they are all very very significant games and moments and things that people. If you say any of these games, people who are NFL fans remember these games. So um, for, for my fifth one, I could kind of pick between three. I could go either the 86 AFC championship game, the Elway drive. I could go the 07 NFC Giants Packers, or I could go a few years ago, the New England Kansas City. To me, those are all kind of like and, flip a and coin, that's take the a one. pick. That's the one I had written down was 18 because just rereading it and, you know, look, I would love to put the 07 game in there and, you know, the drive was certainly a really good game. I look at the flurry of that at the end, which matters. It's excitement. You know what I mean? When we're talking about greatest games, that matters that it was so exciting at the end and it was very reminiscent as, as the 1967 ice ball is kind of a reminisce or kind of indicative of an era of football mm, again not every point. game was good not point. every game was played in when it was 40 degrees below zero but that was that era of football that 2018 game is indicative of an era of football where these quarterbacks went back and forth at each other and as long as there was still 10 seconds on the clock you felt like mm. like if they had if they had done a u.s open style thing and said we're going to play four more quarters you felt like everyone, you know what I mean? Obviously I'm, I'm yeah. being ridiculous, but like you felt like they could have kept doing that all night. Um, yeah. So I, I, I would be inclined to do that. So like you, and I, and if you look at this, you got a pretty nice cross section here. You got the ice bowl, you got the catch, you got the big upset in 1998 with the Falcons over the Vikings. You got an equally big upset in 1990, but in a lot of different ways, you got, got there was a fifth time they played in the playoffs in that, 10-year period, you had the defending Super Bowl champions, you know, physical game, five field goals, and then you got the offensive sort of onslaught in the fourth quarter of the 2018 game. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about it, the ones we left behind aren't too bad either. The 14 NFC with Seattle and Green Bay, Giants-Packers in 07, the drive with Elway in Cleveland, and then in 06, the, the, that Brady-Manning comeback classic for the Colts. So, I think we put Absolutely. together. I think we put together a good top five, and I also think the nine that we chose were were pretty good. So, yeah, yep. And we, like I said, after we said the ice bowl, I wrote on my little side here, just chronologically. I wrote 1981, 1990, 1998, 2018. So we were pretty much, and that was just that wasn't in order, but that was like if I had to pick five. So I think we were we were in pretty. Uh, Pretty much on the same wavelength. The 14 Seattle Green Bay is not necessarily burned in my memory as much, 
But other than that, you could have really put any of those other ones at the five and I would have not had a, a major reason to complain. So agreed. Well, this was fun. We hadn't we did this. Um, it's funny because our NBA list tended to skew very old. It was more like 60s, 70s, 80s with a little bit of the sort of our lifetime mixed in this one, especially with some of the preliminary ones and even even our list, um, you know, I vividly remember two of these games and I sort of kind of remember the 90 NFC game. So there's there's a little bit more of a modern bent with this conference championship. And let's be honest, next year, whenever we do it, if we do Super Bowls, that will be a very older or a very later, you know, more recent skewing list also. So it's kind of. Yeah, well, I mean, all you you got to think about is up until I always kind of look at that 97 game between the the uh, Packers and the Broncos. And I know people talk about the year before, but I don't think that was that 97 game between the Packers and the Broncos was Super Bowl 32 or whatever it was. How many good Super Bowls had there been before that? Five, seven. Yeah, it's true. How many good Super Bowls has there been since then? Of the next 25, 15. Well, it's funny you think about it, and then we'll close after this because you know we're we're getting a little long and off topic here. But like '85, the Bears blew out New England. Giants basically blew out Denver. Redskins definitely blew out Denver. Okay, so yeah, the one good game, and then '89 with the 49ers and um, Denver was another blowout. Bills got blown out three out of four times. 49ers blew out the Chargers. That game wasn't even competitive for five minutes. At least some of the Bills Super Bowls, they hung with them for a little bit. And then I remember starting with 95, it was like, okay, Pittsburgh hung with Dallas for a little bit. And then the Patriots hung with Green Bay in the fourth quarter. And it was just sort of like, okay, Super Bowls don't have to just be a laugher. And then you got this incredible run that kind of started with that 97 one. So, yeah, it's been, you know, the last 25, 26 years have been much, much better than the first 25 or so as far as Super Bowls are concerned. But that is a story for another day. Tonight was all about conference championship games. Andrew, did you have anything final to add before we signed off for the night? No, I think we I think we nailed everything. Um I think, you know, we'll obviously talk about doing the Super Bowls uh, and then maybe one year we'll have to do the best first early rounds of the playoff games, like prior to the conference championship game, wild card, divisional round. I'd like to do that. And I'd also like to go back and do the pre 1966 NFL championship games. I think that could be a fun one, too. We could even add in AFL and whatever else. I agree with that. All right. Well, uh, good way to sort of put a bow on the football season. And uh, obviously we won't totally ignore football, but we'll probably do more baseball and other sports over the next few months. So this was a good way to, to put a bow on some really good football episodes that we've done over the last few months. So thank you all very much. Um, by the time this airs, you probably will have um, seen the Super Bowl, but hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl and enjoyed the 2022 NFL season. And until next time and another topic, I'm Dan Newman. And I'm Andrew Newman. Goodbye, old sports. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. 
And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.